This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Hey, let's begin the show tonight with a few laughs, hmm? Well, that's always pretty well guaranteed when you've got Fibber McGee and Molly welcoming Harold Perry as the great Gildersleeve and get him into the mix. Jim and Marion Jordan were the husband and wife team who played Fibber and Molly. And I love the fact that one or the other would invariably go off script. And the other partner had to think pretty quick on their feet to keep things from going into the ditch. Harold Perry, a.k.a. the great Gildersleeve, used their show to build a huge following that followed him and enabled him to have his own show on the network. The Tonight Show was broadcast in 1940, and it's worth mentioning, for only a year later, Perry began his own show. Uh, the laughs would wind up gaining him countless fans, and of course, Jim and Marion Jordan were lucky to have him as a regular on their show. Tonight, the wackiness takes an Elizabethan turn, as we hear the cast try to deliver a production styled after Shakespeare himself. I think you're going to get a kick out of this episode. Stuck in a suit of armor. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Man, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Crazy Rhythm. <laughs> Produced for the Woman's Club by Fibber McGee. It's entitled 
when knighthood was the stuff. Or who wants to wrestle in the castle? <laughs> and the curtain has just risen on the third gripping act, where in a gleaming suit of armor, Sir Lancelot is seen talking to the fair Elaine. These two parts we see by the program are taken by Fibber McGee and Molly. Lancelot, do not be so distant. Come us closer to me, fair knight. Oh, sure. Uh, wouldst that thou didst not have to fight the black knight in yon tournament today? I fear me that some harm will perchance come to thou. Say not so. Or say not so. Methinks I confess this black knight with one eye tied behind me. Verily, Elaine. He is a poluga. A pushover, forsooth. Ah, there speaketh me, old true Lancelot. Yea. Remember, I am banking on you, my fair knight. Ah, yes. Bank knight. <laughs> Dost thou not get it, Elaine? Thou said thee are banking on me, and I cometh back with a goodly quip. Ain't funny, Nick Lancelot. <laughs> Gad Zooks. I would fain have done better, did not these iron pants cramp at my style somewhat. Listen, my Lancelot. Someone approaches the drawbridge. Is that what that was? <laughs> Could it be the man who comes to our house when Papa's gone away? <laughs> Nay, fair maid. It is the Black Knight. And now I must go forth to do battle for thy hand. Hold it now, hold it. For should I fail, must thou perforce be given in marriage to the black knight. Ah, uh, these are troublous times when a maid must wed against her will. Merlin the magician telleth me that he hath looked into the future unto the time when the shotgun will have supplanted the broadsword to this purpose. <laughs> Merlin, bah, a faker. A reader of tea leaves, forsooth. You said it. <laughs> he is always taking an orange pico into the future. <laughs> but I must go forth to bottle, or battle, Elaine. <laughs> Aha! He cometh! It is Sir Throckmorton, the Black Knight of Gildersleeve. Four of them. Oh, Black Knight. It is I, Sir Lancelot, challenging thou to combat. Oh, yeah. Good day, good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello, Elaine. Speakest not to the maid of Astolat, Black Knight, until thou hast bested thy opponent, Sir Lancelot, in mortal combat. Yea. Draw and defend thyself, Violet. The word is Violet, McGee. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah. Draw and defend thyself, Violet. And may the best man win. Two arms, Knave. Two arms. Go to it, Lancelot, me bully boy. Try a left jab with thy broad sword. Verily, uh, it sounded like a boiler factory. I fear me this flake like it's louder than yon armor. Remember, I'm supposed to win. All right, we've got to make this look good, otherwise we'll... Oh! 
Cut that out, McGee. You stuck me. Well, I couldn't help it. You're so darn clumsy. Is that so? Well, let me tell you. Oh! <laughs> you stop that stuff, McGee, or I'll bang your iron pajamas into a wad of tinfoil. <laughs> All right, you bang me, but don't give me any more of your lip. <laughs> Heavenly night, or day. <laughs> look at him go, will you? Now, look here, Lancelot. I've had about enough of this. Oh! <laughs> One, two, three, four, six, eight, ten. Out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the winner and still champion, Sir Lancelot. <laughs> Now that I have won my hand in fair combat, Elaine, wilt marry me? I wilt indeed, brave Lancelot. Ah, do I wilt. <laughs> what, fair maid? Thou seemest sad. Thy eyes are drooping. What botherest thou? Tell me, Lancelot, hath America yet been discovered? Nay, not until eight centuries hence. Well, then how canst thou take thy bride to Niagara Falls? Oh, boy, am I glad that's over. How'd it go, Molly? Well, I think it was wonderful, dearie. It's the best play you ever wrote, I believe. Oh, Mr. McGee, oh, what a wonderful performance, really. You were simply marvelous. And you, Mr. McGee, you were simply perfect for the part. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Uppington. Do you really think so? Oh, I do indeed. The minute I saw you come out on the stage in that costume, I said to myself, how delightfully she portrays a girl of the Middle Ages. <laughs> so middle-aged, really. <laughs> now, looky here, Mrs. Uppington. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, girls. Lay aside my sword and get sorted, Mrs. Uppington. How about the gate receipt? How about some financial help? Oh, splendidly, Mr. McGee. Fine. You know, before we started, the club had a $300 deficit. Now how's the deficit? Oh, now it's $950. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Oh. The biggest deficit we ever had. Wonderful. Oh, my, I'm so thrilled, really. <laughs> well, how was the audience reaction, Uppy? Good? Oh, now, I was extremely disturbed about that for a time during the second day. Why, Mrs. Uppington? Well, the steam radiators were hissing so loudly. And when I ran down to turn them off, there were no radiators. <laughs> Some people laugh. Can you imagine that? Oh, come on. Don't oh. feel too badly, dearie. Oh, you did your best. I'm hurt. <laughs> I really do think you overplayed your part a little when you slapped Mr. Gildersleeve down with your sword. <laughs> that was quite a wallop I gave the old boy, wasn't it? I bet he thought he was playing with Olsen and Johnson and Helmets of Poppin'. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 here he comes. Oh, look here, McGee. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve, my, you were wonderful as the Black Knight. So realistic, really. Now, I'll say you were, Gildersleeve. I think you've got definite talent. In fact, I, I think you'd make a great character actor if you only had a little more character <laughs> and could act. Is that so? <laughs> well, what was the idea of knocking me cold in the last act? 
That baseball bat wasn't in the script for him. Well, that was just sudden inspiration, Gilsey. <laughs> Did you see that dent in his helmet, Molly? I that was the biggest depression I've seen since 1929. <laughs> That's enough from you, McGee. Oh, yeah. Take off that armor and meet me man to man. I don't... I'll blitzkrieg you! Oh, here now, Mr. Gildersleeve. That's okay, Molly. That's the way the little boy wants it. Beat it now, Gildersleeve, and I'll meet you outside in five minutes. Oh, no, you won't. I'm going to wait right here for you. Oh, dear. Why do you two always have to be fighting? Why why don't you patch things up, McGee? When I get through with this guy, I won't even be able to patch him up. Why, I'll... I'll... Let me at him. Let me at him. Hey, where's the dingus that unhooks this armor? Here, McGee, let me help you. Don't you dare touch me. Don't <laughs> dare touch me. Not while I'm in this condition. I'll get out of this my own way. Now, how'd I ever get into this? Can't you remember, dear? Oh, I was so busy rehearsing my life. Oh. Maybe this is the way. Oh, Don't come off that way. Quit stalling, you little weasel. You quit rushing me, you big nasty... Nasty, nasty stertium. Oh. Now, let me see. Oh. Where was that? Where you poor lad. Oh. Is there anything your Molly can do for you, dearie? Oh, I guess not. Let me try once more. Take the helmet off first, why don't you? Oh, yeah? Why don't I? How do you get it off? Well, mine wasn't even fastened. Maybe yours screws off like a diver's helmet. Here, let me show you. Hey! Oh, get off! Twisting my head around. Yeah. What do you think I am, a puppet? The word is puppet, dearie. Huh? Well, whatever it is, I ain't one of them. I'd better let me think a minute. How can I get this dead rather thing off? Oh, McGee, what are you going to do? Stand here all evening like a can of tomatoes? <laughs> Only one thing to do, Molly. I gotta find a blacksmith. You come with me, Molly, and hold this sword over my head. What on earth, Paul? There's a thunderstorm coming up, and in this outfit, I need a lightning rod. Oh. Inside the city limits. 
Come on now, dig down into that chromium cutaway and show me your license. <laughs> that rather, we ain't holding a parade. This is a theatrical costume. Well, why don't you leave your costume in your dressing room, you, you show-off? Quit acting like a kid, you scut. Now be on your way or I'll throw you in the car. Oh, yeah? What do you think I am now? <laughs> Come on, Molly. Well, hello there, Molly. Who's your friend in the galvanized gabardine? Uh, it's Fibber, Mr. Wilcox. We're looking for a blacksmith shop so we can get him out of it. Yeah, otherwise I'm going to be a knight the rest of my days, Harlow. <laughs> well, that's a... <laughs> That's a tough spot you're in, pal. Ah, but those knights of the round table had the right idea at that. How so, Mr. Wilcox? Well, they knew that there was nothing like a hard, smooth outer layer of protection. Uh Uh-oh. We will now hear from that polished nobleman, Circassian Walnut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gee, it's true. Johnson's Wax gives floors and furniture a suit of armor that gives them positive protection in the battle against dirt, dust, wear, and scratches. Uh, Tell me, Mr. Wilcox. Uh, Did King Arthur use Johnson's Wax on the round table? Why, he must have, Molly. Johnson's Wax is good for round tables, square tables, coffee tables, card tables, ping-pong tables, kitchen tables, hall tables, night tables, dining tables. Oh, get to the end, Wilcox. Okay, and end table. Uh... (laughs) Ain't he marvelous, folks? You couldn't dampen that guy's enthusiasm with a fire hose. You sure you don't know where there's a blacksmith shop, Harlow? No, I don't, Fibber. But wait till you read what the newspapers say about that play of yours. Oh. What's that got to do with his getting out of that suit of armor? Plenty. (laughs) He'll feel so small he can crawl out through the visor. (laughs) Well, good luck, pal. (laughs) McGee. Huh? Mr. Gildersleeve is still following us. He is? Chuck, if he's got a grudge, why don't he come up to me and fight it out like a man? Oh, now be careful, McGee. Remember, it's his great big bare fist against you and that poor little suit of iron armor. Don't take any chances. Oh, oh there, my dear. Who's your friend in the noisy knickers? <laughs> it's me husband, Mr. Boomer. We're looking for a blacksmith to get him out of the armor. Maybe you're the guy we're looking for, Boomer. As Mr. Roosevelt says to Mrs. Farley, how about the loan of your Jimmy for a while? Uh... <laughs> That's very good, Rattle Rompers. Very good. <laughs> I've got exactly the thing for you. You have? Certainly have. Little invention of my own. A little gem can cutter and oyster opener. Guaranteed to open any Pullman window with one smart blow of the glass. Oh, hey, that don't sound bad. Do you think it'll work on me? Why, sleeve garters? One twist of the little gem, and you'll come out of that sardine sarcophagus quicker than a rabbit can. Well, quicker than a rabbit can. <laughs> well, come on, try it out, Mr. Boomer. Try it out. This time you've made a sale, I yes. All right, my dear. I have a little gem, a can opener right here someplace. Now, what did I do with that little gem? Let me see. Here's a sprig of mint leaves. In case I should encounter a leg of lamb. <laughs> little pop gun I use to pop off my top. Here's a small object no larger than a man's hand. In fact, that's just what it is. <laughs> Looks mighty familiar, too. Well, well, it's mine. <laughs> but what was it doing in my pocket? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Here's a letter that uh, Louis the Lifer asked me to deliver to the governor. Says here, I've been in here for 30 years, and again, Roosevelt and Taft and Dewey are going to run for president. I'd like to get out now, if you'll pardon me. This is where I came in. <laughs> And a check for a small portion of Pilchner. <laughs> well, well, imagine that. No little gem can opener. Come to think of it, you've done me a good turn, Powell Fly. What do you mean? I'm going right home and invent the little gem right now. Good day, my dear, and so long to you, demountable drawer. <laughs> King's Men sing, We Play Hooks. We play hooks. Oh, all the day we run and play, we race and run and roll our hoops along. My name they call Louise. I am the sweetheart of Marie. We live in Gay Paris. We're very bourgeoisie. She, Marie, and me, Louise. We nice folks, but folks grow Every day we run and run to bring the teacher present. Ooh, la, la, we very smart and also very pleasant. Shops, Molly. <laughs> what are horses wearing nowadays, anyway? Bedroom slippers? <laughs> ah, you poor lad. You must be simply worn out dragging around in that pile of scrap iron. 
We're right near our house. Why don't you go home and lie down a while? Hey, that's not a bad idea, Molly. After I get a rest, maybe I can remember how... Well, hello there, daughter. Who's the rummy in the rivet? <laughs> well, this is Mr. McGee, Mr. Oldtimer. He is, eh? How'd you ever get in there, Johnny? <laughs> Just over did my diet, Oldtimer. Didn't have enough iron in my system, and now I got too much system in my iron. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, he had to wear this costume in a stage play, Mr. Oldtimer. He was very much on his metal, and uh, vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's pretty good, daughter. I so. But that ain't the way I heard it. Oh, dear. The way I heard it, one fella says, tell the fella, say, he says, it won't be long now till all that political candidates start calling each other names over the radio. They were smart. They'd all take a tip from this program and use Johnson's Wax and all their platforms. What you mean, says t'other feller? Well, says the first feller, you know what Wilcox says. Dirt can't cling to a Johnson Wax surface. <laughs> well, it's commercial, but it's cute. <laughs> Suit a heavy overwear all day? <laughs> well, looks like you'd have to, Mr. Oldtimer. Why? Well, I'm going to make some fudge tonight, and I'll give him 50 cents to come over and roll on the walnut. <laughs> you think it over, Johnny. So long, daughter. <laughs> got more silly notions than a five and ten cent store. <laughs> Boy, am I tired. Man, all day. We're almost home, dearie, and I'll make you a nice cup of tea. And then I look in the classified directory for somebody to get you out of that thing. <laughs> Might be a good idea to start looking under filing systems. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know how I'm... Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. Hey, I seen you at our play tonight. How'd you like it? Well, I attended the play in my professional capacity of it. What you mean? Well, I'm the dramatic editor of our kindergarten paper, and I have to see all the plays, good, bad, and no difference. <laughs> well, professionally then, sis, what do you think of the underlying premise of our production? The underlying premise? Huh? <laughs> what do you think of the show? Oh, well... I have always thought that the days of knighthood was a very romantic period. Oh, yeah, well, what'd you think of my performance? Well, I thought you were very unromantic, period. <laughs> Don't you think I was pretty impressive in this suit of armor? <laughs> Gee, that's funny. <laughs> that's just what Willie Poops asked me. Oh, he did, eh? Mm -hmm. He asked you uh, what you thought of me in my armor, hat. Sure. And what did you say? <laughs> Oh, come on, Sid. I can take it. <laughs> Flattery don't turn my head. <laughs> What'd you tell Willie Toops about me and my armor? <laughs> Do I have to? Sure. <laughs> well, ahead, I, I said confidentially, Willie. Yeah. He clinks. <laughs> Kid. 
I still think she's a midget. <laughs> well, thank goodness for Bob Moore. Ah, there, McGee. Oh, dear. I've been waiting for you. Oh, my. Oh. So you haven't got that armor off yet, eh? That's a pretty acute observation, Gildersleeve. Out of my way before I flatten your arches with these iron oxfords. You're a hard man, McGee. <laughs> but wait till you climb out of that chafing dish, you'll be sorry. Is that so? Yes, that's so. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hey, uh, who writes that snappy dialogue for you boys? <laughs> Is it Noel Coward? Why should I waste any brilliant epigrams on this lowbrow? Well, Come on, Molly, let's... Hey, go. wait a minute, wait. Quick, lock the door. It's locked. Now, let me see. I jiggle this little gadget on the shoulder here. Unhook the front. Slide the helmet back. What? Oh! All off. Click the whistle. Boy, is that a relief. Give me the evening paper, Molly. Here. And here's your specs, dearie. But say, look here, McGee. Hmm? If you could take that armor off so easily, why didn't you do it at the theater? What? And get my block knocked off? <laughs> McGee! Have you got that armor off yet? Huh? Oh, yes. I got the armor off, but I got my glasses on now. <laughs> Good night, Black Knight. <laughs> Sunday is not only dedicated to mothers, it is also National Hospital Day, in honor of the birthday of Florence Nightingale, the founder of modern nursing. Yes, so may we suggest you pay a visit to your hospital and uh, get acquainted with your most helpful neighbor. Don't forget, it's the men and women in white we turn to when everything looks black. Good night. Good night, all. Stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater and their production of a classic offering, Arsenic and Old Lace. It's time now for the Screen Guild Theater. It was broadcast from 1939 until 1952 during the golden age of radio. Leading Hollywood stars performed adaptations of popular motion pictures. Originating on CBS Radio, it aired under several different titles, including The Gulf Screen Guild Show, The Gulf Screen Guild Theater, The Lady Esther Screen Guild, and the Camel Screen Guild players. Now, fees that would ordinarily have been paid to the stars and studios were instead donated to the Motion Picture Relief Fund and were used for the construction and maintenance of the Motion Picture Country House. Today, we're treated to the talents of Boris Karloff and Eddie Albert as they recreate the classic tale of arsenic and old lace. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, Lady Esther has the pleasure of bringing you one of the famous hits of our generation. Joseph Kesselring's Arsenic and Old Lace, originally produced on Broadway by Russell Krauss and Howard Lindsay. It stars Boris Karloff from the original cast and one of Hollywood's most popular young actors, Eddie Albert. And here they are, appearing with the Lady Esther Screen Guild players in Arsenic and Old Lace. Thank you. 
anybody in that section of Brooklyn, and they all would tell you the very same thing. The neighbors, the minister, Dr. Harper, even O'Hara, the cop on the beat. You mean them two old Brewster sisters? Why, there ain't two sweeter little ladies in the world. Too bad, though, about that nephew of theirs. Too bad, he's sort of... Charge! Charge! Follow me, men! Up San Juan Hill after Teddy Roosevelt! See what I mean? But the Brewster sisters have another nephew, Mortimer. He's dramatic critic on a New York paper. And he's always considered himself quite sane until tonight. And Evie, Aunt Martha, I have news for you. I'm going to marry Elaine Harper. Oh, Mortimer, how nice. Our minister's daughter. Really, Mortimer, we ought to celebrate. Not tonight, darlings. I've got to pick up Elaine and get back to town. Have to cover a play tonight. Well, I do hope it's something you like for once. What's the name of it, dear? Murder Will Out. I'll bet I can write the review without even seeing it. I always said you were talented, dear. Same old tripe. When the curtain goes up, first thing you see is a dead body. Well, maybe you won't actually see it. It'll be hidden somewhere, like in this window seat. Then someone will come on, walk in sort of casually, lift the cover up of the window seat like this. Why, Mortimer, dear, what's the matter? Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha, there's a dead man in there. Now, look, aunties, let me say it again slowly. There's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear, we know. You know? Well, of course. Honestly, I never thought Teddy would ever get... Listen, you were planning to send him to that that sanitarium, Happy Dale? Yes, dear, it's all arranged. Elaine's father brought the papers over this afternoon. Here they are, all ready for Teddy to sign. Well, he's got to sign them right away. Tonight. If they ever found out he's killed a man, they'll... Oh, Teddy didn't do that. He did He didn't? Now, Mortimer, just forget about it. Forget you even saw the gentleman. Forget? We never dreamed you'd peek. But, uh... <laughs> but who is he? His name is Hoskins. Adam Hoskins. That's all I really know about him. Except that he's a Methodist. Yes, but... <laughs> what? What's he doing here? What happened to him? He died. Aunt Martha... Men don't just get into window seats and die. No, Mortimer. He died first. How? Oh, Mortimer, don't be so inquisitive. The gentleman died because he drank some wine with poison in it. Elderberry wine. How did the poison get in the wine? Oh, we put it in the wine because it's less noticeable. When it's in tea, it has a distinct odor. You put it in the wine? Yes, and we put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat because Elaine's father was coming to tea. Then you knew what you'd done. You didn't want Dr. Harper to see the body. Well, not a key. That wouldn't have been very nice. (laughs) Now, Mortimer, dear, you you can forget all about it. Teddy's down in Panama right now. Panama? You know, the cellar. He always calls the cellar Panama. And the steps over there are San Juan Hill. He's down in Panama now, digging the lock. You mean you're going to bury Mr. Hoskins in the cellar? Of course, dear. That's what we did with the others. Well, I don't think you should... Others? The other gentlemen. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. When you say others, you mean others? More than one? Others? Yes, uh, this is 11, isn't it, Abby? No, dear, this makes 12. (laughs) Well, you you really shouldn't count the first one. After all, he just died. Just died? Well, Martha means without any help from us. 
Mr. Midgley was his name. He was a Baptist. And he came here looking for a room. It was right after you moved to New York, Mortimer. It didn't seem right to leave that lovely room empty with so many people needing it, so we advertised that Mr. Midgley applied. He was so lonely, no kith or kin. We felt so sorry for him. And then when his heart attack came and he sat there dead in that chair. Remember, Martha? It was just like old times. Yes. <laughs> Grandfather was a doctor, you know. He always had a cadaver or two around the house. <laughs> Only Teddy insisted that Mr. Midgley was a yellow fever victim and had to be buried at once. So we buried him in Panama. Yes. He looked so peaceful, didn't he, Abby? Oh, so serene. And we made up our minds right then and there that if we could help other lonely old men find the same peace, we would. So that's, that's how it all started, that man walking in and dropping dead. Oh, but of course we realized we couldn't depend on that Mortimer. always happening. Mortimer, so, uh, you know those jars of poison that have been up in Grandfather's laboratory all these years? And your Aunt Martha has such a knack for mixing things. <laughs> well, dear... For a gallon of elderberry wine, I take one teaspoonful of arsenic and then add half a teaspoonful of strychnine and then just a pinch of cyanide. Mm. <laughs> should have quite a kick. Oh, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, one of our gentlemen found time to say, how delicious. <laughs> look, look, Andes, hmm? I, I don't know how to explain it to you, but you can't do things like this. It's against the law. It's not a nice thing to do. I mean, well, this has developed into a very bad habit. Mortimer, we don't stop you from doing things you like to do. Why should you interfere with us? Because you... Listen, I've got to rush into town and cover that plate. Do a lot of things. There's not a minute to spare. Are you sure you haven't time for dinner? I'm going to try a new recipe. Uh, thanks. I, I couldn't eat a thing. This is it, Doctor. Yes, I remember this door. Even when I was a child, it always sounded like inner sanctum. Come in. Oh, Johnny, it is dark in here. That means the family still live here. The Brewsters were always sparing with lights. Is that so? Hey, who turns on the lights? I did. Who are you? Yes, what are you gentlemen doing here? Why, Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha, it's Jonathan. You get out of here. But I'm Jonathan, your nephew, Jonathan. Oh, no, you're not. You're nothing like Jonathan, so don't pretend you are. But I am. I'm Jonathan. And this is Dr. Einstein. Abby, his voice does sound like Jonathan's, but his face... Have you been in an accident? No. My face... Dr. Einstein is responsible for that. He changes people's faces. I ought no, to... easy, Johnny, easy. <laughs> Don't worry, ladies. The last five years, I give Johnny three new faces. I give him another one right away. You'd better, when my own family doesn't even... Oh, Johnny, I'm sorry. I saw that horror picture just before I operated, and I was a little drunk. But anyway, now you are home... Ladies, how often he tells me about Brooklyn, about his house, about his aunts that he loves so much. Oh, please, you, you, you must know him. S speak to him. 
you tell him so. Well, Jonathan, it's been a long time since you ran away from us. Yes, where have you been all these years? Oh, England, South Africa, Australia, the last five years. Dr. Einstein and I have been in Chicago. Really? We were in Chicago for the World's Fair. We didn't like it. We found Chicago awfully warm. Yeah, it got too hot for us, too. <laughs> well, Jonathan, it was nice to see you again. I, I mean, if you're in a hurry to get somewhere... Not at all, Aunt Abby. But, uh, about the dear, Martha, we mustn't let soup boil over. Um, Jonathan, if you'll excuse us for a minute. Of course. Come along, Martha. Johnny, we have got to work fast. The police, the police have got pictures of your face. I've got to find a place to operate. And we've got to find a place for Mr. Spinalzo, too. Don't waste any worry on that, rat. But we can't leave a dead body in the rumble seat. Oh, oh, you shouldn't have killed him, Johnny. He was a nice fellow. He gives us a lift, and what happens? He said I looked like Boris Karloff. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry, Johnny. As soon as I operate and change your face again... Wait a minute. I know just the place. You do? Look, if this family hasn't changed, and I'm sure it hasn't, I'll bet my grandfather's old laboratories just the just the way he left. Oh, good. And when you've done with me, why, we can make a fortune here. In Brooklyn? Of course. Practically everybody in Brooklyn needs a new face. <laughs> but, Johnny, your aunts, I, I don't think they want us here. Leave that to me, Doctor. I'll handle it. Why, this house will be our headquarters for years. Oh, that would be beautiful, Johnny. This nice, quiet house, those sweet old ladies. I love them already. I get the bags, yeah? Doctor, we must wait till we're invited. But you just said... We'll be invited. If they say no? Doctor, two helpless old women... <laughs> Sit down and make yourself comfortable. Uh, it's like comes true, a beautiful dream. It's so nice and peaceful here. That's what makes this house so perfect for us. It's so peaceful. Silver Hillman, charge! Charge! I must say, my dear aunts, it was very kind of you to invite the doctor and myself to dinner. We didn't really invite you, Jonathan. You invited yourself. Well, it just shows you I feel at home already. I'm sure I'm going to like it here. Like it here? You you mean you're going to stay? Oh, hadn't I told you? Now, Jonathan, you needn't think you're going uh, to stay. Abby, uh, uh, the dinner dishes. Shouldn't we get started on them, dear? Huh? Oh, oh, oh yes, 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 of course. Jonathan, we'll speak to you later. <laughs> Johnny! Johnny, just now that teddy takes me down the cellar. And what do you think I find? What? The Panama Canal. The Panama Canal. Uh, listen, listen. He digs a hole down there. Just the right size for Mr. Spinalzo. Say, that's an idea. What a joke of my aunts to bury a body in their cellar. <laughs> but... How are we going to get him in? Get him in through those French windows. We can hide him in the window seat. The window seat? It's perfect for a corpse. Why, when I was a youngster, I used to hide there myself. Then, a little later on, when my aunts have gone to bed, we'll take him down and bury him. But, but, but suppose they come in here and find us. My dear doctor, you don't understand. My aunts are doing the dinner dishes. They'll be in the kitchen for quite some time. Oh, they will? Yes, they've always kept a very neat home. Shall we go? 
Debbie, are you sure they've gone out? Yes. They're out there at their car. Besides, we've got to get Mr. Hoskins out of this window seat. Yes, poor dear. He can't be very comfortable. And when Mortimer gets back, he'll take care of Jonathan. There'll be an awful row. They've never liked each other. Martha, I will not invite Jonathan to Mr. Hoskins' services. Abby, dear, we better hurry. Yes, let's see if Teddy is still in the cellar. Teddy, are you down there in Panama? Who dares call the president by his first name? Mr. President, we've got another gentleman. Is he dead? A yellow fever victim. Teddy, I'm afraid you'll have to hurry. Ah, that's it, Doctor. That's fine. See how nicely he fits? Just like this window seat was made to order. Now we'll go upstairs. When my aunts have gone to sleep, we'll come down and put him away. And after that... I know, Johnny, I know. I operate. Well, everything seems quiet enough. They must be sleeping, I guess. Might as well have a little light down here. That's better. Now, let me see. First, I've got to get Hoskins out of the window seat. It's not very pleasant, but it's got to be done. Come on, old man. I'm sorry to disturb you. Another one! Mortimer! Darling, you're back. Just in time for the services. Aunt Abby, Aunt Martha. There's another body in the window seat. Look! Now, who can that be? (laughs) Why, it's a stranger. My goodness, how did he get in there? Now, wait a minute, you two. You can't get out of this. That's another one of your gentlemen. Mortimer, how can you say such a thing? That man's an imposter. But you admitted... You admitted you put Mr. Hoskins in the window seat. Well, yes, I I did, but I... Well, this man couldn't have just got the idea from Mr. Hoskins. By the way, where is Mr. Hoskins? Teddy took him down to Panama. Yes, he's down there waiting for the services. Abby, dear, we've always wanted to hold a double funeral. No, Martha. I will not read services over a total stranger. Stranger? Aunt Abby, there are 12 men buried down there in the cellar. You admit you poisoned them. Now you try to tell me this one is a stranger? Well, of course. Darling, you don't think I'd stoop to telling the fib? Second match of the Lady Esther Screen Girl play will follow in a moment. And now Lady Esther presents the second act of Arsenic and Old Lace, starring Eddie Albert and Boris Karloff with Verna Felton and Jane Morgan. Mortimer thinks he's going crazy until his brother Jonathan walks in. That makes the answer fairly apparent, and Mortimer shifts right into high. He tells him he's going to call the police and show them the very dead Mr. Spitalzo. And it looks like his bluff is going to work when Dr. Einstein comes rushing in. Johnny! 
Johnny. Come along, Doctor. It seems that we are leaving. No, Johnny, wait. Just now that Teddy takes me down to Panama again. And guess what? What? Johnny, we stay. We got an ace in the hole. Now, Jonathan discovers poor dead Mr. Hoskins, and that changes things all around again, especially since Mortimer has to leave to finish some very urgent business. And now, while they're awaiting Mortimer's return, the two old ladies are quite upset. Jonathan, will you please tell us what you plan doing with your Mr. Spinalzo? Going to bury him with your Mr. Hoskins, I suppose. Oh, no, you won't. We won't have any strangers buried in our cellar. And besides, the cellar's crowded already. Yes. There are 12 graves down there right now. 12 graves? But you can see that leaves us very little room, and we're going to need it. You, you mean you two ladies have murdered all the... Murdered? Certainly not. It's one of our charities. Why, what we've been doing is a mercy. You've done that here in this house and you buried them down there? Johnny, we have been chasing all over the world. They stay right here at home and do just as good as you do. <laughs> what? You got 12? They got 12. I've got 13. No, Johnny, 12. 13. No, Johnny, you can't count the one in South Bend. He died of pneumonia. He wouldn't have got pneumonia if I hadn't shot him. No, Johnny, he don't count. He don't count. You, you got 12 and they got 12. The old ladies are just as good as you are. Oh, they are, are they? Well, that's easily taken care of. All I need is one more. That's all. Just one more. Well, here I am. Oh, please, young man, take my advice. Go away from this house. Go away now while Johnny is still busy in the cellar with Mr. Spinalzo. I'm sorry, Doctor. I'm expecting someone. Someone very important. Besides, I've still got to write my review. I tell you, Johnny is in a bad mood, and when he's like this, he is a madman. Don't worry, I'll take care of Jonathan, too. Ah, Himmel, don't you got no sense? Don't you learn nothing from those plays, you see? Are you kidding? You think people in plays act intelligently? You should have seen the one I had to cover tonight. There's a fellow in this play, knows he's in a house with murderers. He's even been warned. But does he get out? No, he stays there. Now, I ask you, Doctor, is that intelligent? You are asking me. He didn't even have sense enough to be on guard. For instance, the murderer invites him to sit down. Oh, you mean, won't you sit down? <laughs> Believe it or not, that was in there, too. So what happens? He sits down, just like this. What do you think they tie him with? What? The curtain cord. That's very convenient. A little too convenient. When are these playwrights going to use some imagination? So he sits there, the big dope. This fellow who's supposed to be bright, he sits there just like I'm sitting here letting murder walk up behind him, just waiting to be trussed up and gagged. You're quite right, my dear brother. That fellow wasn't very smart. Well, he seems to be gagged and tied quite well. All right, doctor. We go to work. Uh, please, Johnny, first I need a drink. Oh, there's some wine here. Oh, yes, the elderberry wine, by all means. I pour you one, too. Oh, how I need it. Please, doctor, your manners. Not without a toast. To my dear dead Johnny brother. Charles! Charles! 
Ah, Kimmel! That idiot. He goes next. You hear me? He's next. No. Oh, no, Johnny. Not Teddy. We'll get to him later. Come on. We've got to work fast. Hey, what is this? It's the cops. Listen, that Teddy's got to quit blowing his horn. We promised the neighbors. All right, officer. We'll speak to him. I better talk to him myself. Where's the lights? Ah, that's better. I'll go up to his room and I... Uh, Hey, ain't that Mr. Mortimer? Uh, yes, it is. What's he doing tied up like that? Well, well he... Uh, uh, he was explaining the play he saw tonight. <laughs> That's what happened to the fellow in the play. No kidding? Well, I wouldn't want to interfere. Hey, O'Hara! Oh, uh, hiya, Brophy. How's the prowl car business? Ah, kind of warm. Lieutenant Steven. Did he get you on the radio? Yeah, he says he got so many complaints from the neighbors, you'd think they dropped an atom bomb on Flatbush Avenue. He says we got to take Teddy and... Uh, Hey, what's that guy trussed up like that? Oh, that's Mr. Mortimer. He's playing. Well, get him untied. He looks like he's choking. Oh, sure. Won't take me but a second. Officer, to... perhaps you better let me... Hey, who is this guy? That's that's my brother. And you'd better stick around because he... Don't listen to him, officer. He's dangerous. Huh? That's why we had to tie him up. He's the lowest kind of person in the whole world. A dramatic critic? And my two aunts. Huh, you think they're sweet, charming old ladies, do you? Well, there are 13 bodies buried in their cellar. Listen, you be careful what you say about your aunts. They happen to be friends of ours. Hey, Brophy, can you imagine with a puss like his? Why, he looks just like Boris Carlo. What are you? Hey, wait a minute. Lay off. Hey, Brophy, help me. Let go, Brophy. you. What's the idea? You hear me? I said, let go. Oh, Take care of him for a while. Uh, what was fighting him? Choking me like that. I don't know. When you said he looked like it... Hey, wait a minute. This guy is wanted. You sure? Sure. Don't you ever read True Detective? <laughs> he escaped from an asylum. Well, that's the way he was described. He looked like Karloff. Is, is there a reward? Yeah, yeah. Help me lug him out to the car. But, but how about the bodies in the cellar? Bodies in the cellar? Ain't that enough to show you he's nuts? Hey, hey, what about the other one? You you know who I mean, Mr. Mortimer? The doctor. Yeah, he must have walked out. Oh, don't worry, we'll pick him up. Come on. Uh, Mr. Mortimer, you'll excuse us, huh? I, I mean, seeing as hot as a reward. I understand. Uh, but you will take care of Teddy, though. Absolutely. Tonight. <laughs> Aunt Martha, Aunt Abby, I know it's very late, but you see... Mr. Witherspoon came all the way over here. He's the superintendent of Happydale, you know. He is? How nice. Yes, and all the papers have been signed, and he's going to take Teddy with him tonight. Really, Mr. Witherspoon? Well, that was my understanding. Mortimer, does Teddy know? Uh, not exactly. Uh, he thinks he's going on a safari to Africa. Abby, dear, we'll miss Teddy, won't we? We'll love him so. Oh, I fixed all that, too, Aunt Martha. You and Aunt Abby are going along, just so you can be close to Teddy. Why, Mortimer, how thoughtful of you. Yes, isn't that nice? And, Mortimer, you can have the house. The house? Of course, you'll need it if you're going to marry Elaine. Elaine? Holy Toledo, she must still be waiting. Excuse me, I've got to go and call her. He's such a good boy, Mr. Witherspoon. Yes, yes, I'm sure. You know, uh, since we're all going away together, I... I think we ought to celebrate, have a party. I'm sorry, but I'm here in an official capacity. Oh, that's too bad. Tell me, does your family live at Happy Dale, too? I'm afraid I haven't any family. You're all alone. <laughs> oh, isn't that too bad? 
You know, Martha, if Mr. Witherspoon won't uh, let us give him a party, at least we might offer him a glass of wine. Of course, the elderberry wine. Elderberry wine? We make it ourselves. Well, uh, of course, at Happy Dale, our relationship will be much more formal. But here... Oh, we're very informal. Yes. Uh, Go ahead, Martha. Uh, Pour him a glass. On behalf of the Motion Picture Relief Fund, thank you, Boris Karloff, Eddie Albert, Jane Morgan, and Verna Felton for your delightful performances. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Love Letters. It will star Loretta Young and Rex Harrison. Be sure to listen. Arsenic and Old Lace was produced and directed for Lady Esther by Bill Lawrence, adapted by Harry Cronman, and was presented through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of Deception, starring Betty Davis. Boris Karloff will soon be seen in the Cecil B. DeMille Paramount production, Unconquered. Eddie Albert can now be seen in the Republic picture, Rendezvous with Annie. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther. Thank you and good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nero Wolf, followed by Dragnet. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.